On this week's episode of the RAG podcast, I was joined by Leisha Holmes. Leisha is a rectorec based in Manchester who has been in the sector for a number of years. She started off uh, working in Birmingham in uh, recruitment of white collar automotive engineers, uh, then moved into digital media marketing recruitment and finished off or finally moved into rectorec uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, she then well, she joined this, this week's show. The reason I interviewed Alicia was we were having a chat and she reached out to me after listening to some of the earlier episodes on this season, which is all about the human side of, of being an owner and the shit that can go on in our lives behind the scenes. And she told me about a story that, that she wanted to share to help other people. And when I, when I heard this story, I was, um, I was gobsmacked. Um, she, I, won't, I won't tell you the whole story now, but effectively she went through a process where her husband of... 16 years um not only broke up with her on a on a on a sunday morning out of the blue when she had two teenage children but also told her that he was um he was coming out as homosexual and this was something that she'd never expected and instantly rocked her world this was a second husband she'd already been through a divorce so to do this again this time as a business owner uh, mid 40s got children this is an incredible like incredible life-changing moment and she talks us through the whole story of how it happened, but more importantly, how she dealt with it and how she reacted to protect her children, her business and herself. And I found this one of the most remarkable episodes I've ever recorded. She was so genuine, so honest, so open, um, but so positive, so bloody positive. That despite what's gone on, she's just so happy and bubbly. And, and I, I use the word joy because that's how I felt at the end when I'd finished uh, listening to her story, I just felt good. I felt warm. I felt like, you know, fuck me. If people can go through that and be this positive, then you know we should all take some something from that. So, I really hope you enjoy today's episode. This is a story that I've never talked about before. This is a different type of episode, but um, I'm confident that you'll get value from it, and hopefully, you'll know other people that will as well. So, without further ado, Leisha, welcome to the Rag Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure and honour to be here. Oh, well, it's lovely to have you in. We, um, we've been speaking about, what, five weeks, four or five weeks since um, you kindly reached out and said, I wanted to be on the show. And uh, I love it when people do that, obviously. Um, but you, well, your story was just so compelling. So I was, uh, I've been really excited about this one. I've been super excited about this one. But look, I've done you a little intro. As you know, I can never do it justice. For the listeners' benefit, please... Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, well, thank you so much for that uh, kind introduction on my behalf. I'm Leisha Holmes, and I run a business called Key Recruitment. Um, for the last 15 years, we've been placing experienced recruiters into the recruitment consultancy world, um, mm -hmm. mainly across the Northwest, most recently into Leeds and London as well. I've actually been in recruitment since 1998, and I'm in the bracket of people that fell into it. I've worked previously in FMCG and property management and recruitment is, is my third baby. It's my passion. It's my <laughs> life. I live and breathe it. I just, I'm interested in people and that's what's kept me in the sector for so long and will do for the rest of my life. I just love people's stories, which is why I sent you that message because I love the vibe of what this is about. And I do think that one of the things that hope, I hope sets me apart is that I've always been interested in people's stories and, and what people's lives are about, not just about what their skills are and what money they can make. It's what actually makes them who they are. You don't remember. I don't think long term, you don't remember that other shit anyway, do you? You don't remember if someone was like, you know, that organized with certain things. You remember stories. You remember think, the way they made you feel. And I, I think I naturally did this anyway when I was recruiting without knowing it. Like that was my style was to ask questions about the person and tell a lot of shit about me to the point where I've mentioned it before. People thought I was this big headed recruiter that never shut the hell up about himself. What I did, it was, it was like a natural thing. I, I felt more comfortable if I opened up and they opened up and we just, but what happened was I, I learned so much about people. I had a great relationship with them. You know, it, it did me very well as a job. And now when I do the podcast, yeah, it's my, it's my favorite, it's my favorite part of the week, if I'm honest, because I get to learn stuff and listen and not have to think, there's no agenda to it. It's just, let's get it out. Um, but so you, you, you're, you're a rec to rec. Um, I don't know if you listened or sorry, listen, read the, uh, the post by Pete Watson in Australia today. Did you read his blog in, about being a rec to rec? I thought it was incredible, wasn't it? Um, 
so guys, if you're listening, Pete in Australia wrote a, an article about, you know, what it's really like to be a rec to rec because everyone says I'd never want to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he, he nailed it. So you went from being a recruiter in an industry to rec to rec. Yeah. So I started out in engineering in mm. the Midlands. So I was placing automotive engineers. It was all white collar. Um, right. And I actually became top biller just because I used to pick up the phone and had from a whole team. And, and it wasn't, there was no, nothing contrived. I didn't have any training. I just just used to go, yeah, just pick up the phone. I had no fear. Mm. Um, and I'm sure anyone that worked with me at that time will just vouch for the fact that I, I didn't work ridiculous hours. I was bang out the door at six o'clock. Really? Um, and I just yeah I just because I just made I worked smart even then I just used to think right I'm just gonna get as many engineers in as I can and get them placed and then they'd start referring their friends um my personal circumstances at the time so I'd moved down to Birmingham with my first husband and then we split up so I then moved back to Manchester and and just felt a little bit like I'd outgrown the business that I worked for which you know I'd really see that as my apprenticeship and recruitment it was a brilliant training company mm. it really brought you the sort of the proper basics of you know how to deliver you know feedback how to make a really well constructed sales call all about listening it was, and management it, it was brilliant prime time it was really good for that purpose but I definitely felt like I'd outgrown it and I'm definitely not a maverick but I, I am quite a, I'm not a yes person I will always challenge any equilibrium my teachers at school will vouch for that I just if, if I can see there's a better way of doing it and and I felt we were at this kind of crossroads where I didn't want to have any ill blood so I started to look around I, interestingly I went to a, a rex rec or a few rex recs and then they they placed me with um it was called Fee Farrah Jones at the time which is now Aspire which is yeah. predominantly London based although they do yeah. guys up here and that was doing media and I just felt you know my personality um just although I, I did brilliantly in engineering because I'm quite you know deep, very interested in, in the human story of engineering um, I just felt it was a bit more um, engaging, a bit more, you know, a bit more glamorous, really. So yeah. set up a cold desk, even though they did media, I decided to do advertising agency, like a bit random, but somehow got lucky. And again, it was just, I think because you're dealing with similar people who are naturally business development focused and very interested in the human element. And, and I did that really well. Um, built the desk up and then around the same time one of my team um, who was doing Rector because that was just starting to become a sector this is about 2002 and he exited the business and he had loads of activity going on so I just thought right quick I better get onto it we don't want to lose those fees and after about two weeks of sort of managing both desks I thought Do you know what I really enjoy Rector and then and I just thought as much as the advertising what, he, was, he built Rector in that agency no, no, he'd, he'd been doing rec to rec externally. He, this guy had then left our business and I had to take over his desk. So I was doing two desks and I just thought rec to rec's where I want it to be. So I, I started in rec to rec in 2002 um, and then got married to um, my second husband, Matt, who we had met. I've met previously. In was he your time. business? He was the business partner, though, right? He, he no, no. So we, no. we'd met in prime time in Birmingham. So right. he worked in Birmingham doing engineering recruitment with me, um, and then after we got together, it was very much round one. He then left and went into property. I then moved to Fee Farrah Jones and um, was doing the rep to rep market. Then we got married in two thousand and three. Was he still uh, in Birmingham? It, he's not. He, he he. No, this is back in Manchester. So was he? Was he a Mancunian as well? Who moved to Birmingham? No, he went to oh. university in Manchester. So right. he'd always wanted to move back here. So yeah. So this, I guess the two two places are quite well linked. Um, and then I got pregnant with who is now Isabel. Um, um, two thousand and four. When you look around the sort of vibe of recruitment, you know, going off and then coming back part time just really wasn't a thing. It just you know in recruitment it was. 24-7 call. Sophie Jones wasn't particularly like that in Manchester. We had quite um, a satellite feel to us. Um, when I came back, when, when I was due to come back from maternity leave, they just felt that because I was leading the office, it couldn't be done part-time. So yeah. um, it was actually Matt who over the, our kitchen table said, look, you know, what do you need? And, you know, to set up on your own. Um, there won't be any restrictive covenants because I've been gone a year. And I was like, phone? What else does a recruiter possibly need? Um, no, computer, so, no computer. <laughs> no, well, a laptop, obviously. Um, and then, you know, we we talked about brand, and I just said, well, I want it. To, I don't want it to be my name because you know everybody gets it wrong. Clearly, you got it wrong, Leisha Holmes. You know, um, so I just thought I want it to be what I stand for. And so, what do I stand for? I said, well, I stand for integrity. I stand for quality. Um, urgency and, and I just wrote it down and I was like oh, the letters hang on key 
and it, and that means who. Wow. So it, I liked where, so, and, that, and then it, we launched it. It was a very gentle, I mean, back then, it, this is now 2005, there were probably two or three reps to reps in Manchester. That was it. Really? So it was a very, you know, it was a, it was a new embryonic sector. There weren't, it wasn't saturated. I mean, now, gosh, I, I, I don't even think how many reps to reps there are in the Northwest. So, and it was very much a lifestyle business. You know, I had a little baby um, who was obviously nearly warm. Didn't really want to be that sort of mum dropping off and sort of leaving her for 12 hours a day. And to be honest with you, I, I realise now that those early days of, of key have lent itself very well in, in structuring how I advise my clients now in addressing work-life balance. Because I would be very clear that on the days that I was off with my daughter, if I still had things that I needed to do, I would just like a sniper really sniper approach just zone in on what I had to actually do and almost dismiss mm. things that weren't essential and actually it's not a bad way to run any I think that's that's something I'm looking at at the moment in terms of that whole um I don't know the name of it but the you know, that paradox around you know urgent not important important not I'm trying to every day look at what is actually most urgent and important that I have to do what can I then schedule and what can I delegate? Because I get to the point where I find I've burnt an hour doing something that actually I didn't need to do or didn't need to be done today. And it's, it's tricky. Um, so it's a constant juggling. I think most people listening would agree that, that that's really difficult. But one of the, obviously this season, it's a short season. I'm going to be changing it soon. But before we finish the season, this is all about the human side, right? This is about the shit that goes on behind the scenes. The stuff that no one even knows about but you're, you're fighting whilst trying to be an entrepreneur. And you told me, you know, you've been through, you've had to show real resilience in the last few years um, based on some stuff that went on personally. So can you, can you take us back and set the scene? What actually happened? Yeah. So, I mean, actually it sort of lends very well to where we were just up to in the story. Yeah. I, I had a second daughter, Lilia, in 2007. And then of course the recession kicked in. Yeah. After the credit crunch and Looking back now, and this, you know, hopefully we'll, everyone will, will listen into this. Looking back now, I realise the cracks were probably there then in my relationship because... We're talking um, about your husband now, your marriage. My marriage, because yeah. the way that it, we should have basically pulled together in a recession, we were both self-employed. So he, I mentioned he went into property, he was running an estate agency and property investment company. Right. Um, we were both working from home and it, well, you know, it worked, it worked really well. Um, when all the, you know, everything was crashing around us in 2009, you know, no one was hiring recruiters for quite a while and no one was buying property or selling property. Yeah. Actually, he, he didn't deal with it very well. So it, it does time very well. And, you know, um, but in, in relation to the story, yeah, we, we, you know, we became, I realize now we had a quite an independent marriage. I, I think my friends will vouch for this. I have always kind of run everything. I was full-time key recruitment, full-time parent, you know, first one, first one at the school gates to pick up, you know, always at the, any sort of show nativity or anything like that. And he very rarely would come along to that, focusing yeah. on his business. And latterly, actually, he set up a brewery, which, you know, we invested an awful lot, not just financially, but emotionally into what is a very, very difficult job being a brewer. Um, but yeah, on March the 5th, 2017 um, it was a Sunday morning um, not long ago not, no, long ago not long ago at all you been, how long have you been married at this point we've been together since 2000 so we got married in yeah. 2003 so it's 14 years we've been married um, in fact we'd renewed our wedding vows in 2013 at 10 years because we'd actually eloped to get married and so we thought we'd have this massive big renewal and we had we did we, we had about 150 people have this brilliant party um, so yeah, I think this is why it was such a massive shock to everybody when this happened. So uh, to give some context, the Saturday night before my daughters had had um, a dance, they both do dance, or they used to do dancing, and um, he'd gone to a, a separate sort of function, uh, and he'd got in much earlier than me, we'd come in quite late, so I, I'd gone in the spare room, not for, not for anything of it, went in with a brew to say morning, and I found him sobbing on the bed, and I was like, is everything okay? And he said, no, I've got something to tell you. So of course, what would any, any spouse think? I'd, I thought he was going to say he had cancer, or something was seriously wrong, and he said, I'm gay. And I, just, I still remember that moment, and he just looks at me, and I just, I, I actually swore, I just went, what the? Well, you would, wouldn't you? And I went and sat on the bed and he just poured open, open his heart and he just said, 
So to contextualize it, summer before, we'd both started to moderate our drinking. And whereas I was still officially moderating, which meant basically I'd have one drink a month or something like that, he had stopped altogether. He still hadn't had a drink. Right. And he said, so basically to bring it back into context, he said that by, by going sober, it does give you clarity of vision and thought. And he realized that he'd drunk all the years that he had to hide his secret. So it's just, I, I just want to stop a sec and go back to your brain, right? So this is your story. You're, you're the founder of the business. You're the recruitment owner. You're the mother. You're the wife. Yeah. yeah. You wake up on a Sunday and you hear that you see someone you care about obviously your husband yeah. in, in tears. So on one yeah. side, you know, that's not nice to see. And then you find out that, I don't know, it my, my, you know, my interpretation is like your first thought, is it like, is all this been a lie or what? Like, what's the initial thought? Like, what goes my through first, your head? My first thought was, and, and I don't know if this is just my brain or a recruiter's brain. You're always, always 10 steps ahead. That's what we do, isn't it? We, we predict consequences. So my brain had, in that split second of, I mean, it was absolute pain on his face, was, oh my God, I'm going to literally be a single mom. That was my thought. Like that? And my first thought was my girl. Wow. Genuinely. And maybe it's because deep down, I have always been a very independent parent. It's never been, he's done half the chores, half the pickup. It was all always me. I used to joke over the years because my, my business always earned more than his. It, you know, we, I was the main breadwinner. And I used to say over the years, maybe you should just become a full, the full-time parent and let me just bill. So that was genuinely my first thought was, I'm going to be a single mom to these two girls. And do you know what the other thing was? Honestly, I sat down, I just remember sitting next to him and I just went, right. And, and I, was, I was crying. I mean, I was sobbing. Of course I was sobbing because he was in pain next to me. And I just went, right, I said, this is what I'm going to do. Because the girls were asleep. It, it, it was early. It was about seven o'clock. They, they were actually asleep. And I think they have, I'm sure they have friends sleeping over as well. And I just said, we're, we're not telling the girls until I'm ready to tell the girls. I'm going to go up Holcomb Hill to Peel Tower. I'm going to walk it off. And then when I've got some clarity of thought, I'm going to think about what we're going to do next. So you, you're like, I'm quite similar, I think, to you in the way that I'm, I've been last week I was told I'm a control freak in a good way, not in a bad way. There's definitely some negatives to that, but my ability to like live in the present and just exist is I'm really difficult. I find it really hard. Like I'm already, you know, I'm already 10 steps ahead. Exactly what you said. And I've had times that, you know, I, I, I will open up about soon, but there's been things that have happened to me not too, not too long ago, but same thing instantly in, in, a, in, in bad news, you're thinking, protection mode where do i go next like it's just i, I can totally empathize with that instantly um, yeah yeah i'm gonna be okay that was instant i'm gonna be okay so i did i literally left him in bed um obviously the girls were still asleep got my put my earphones in and i actually rang my sister I've got, i'm very lucky i've got three sisters but i rang the one that i knew would be up and about i think a yeah, anyway. Uh, and I, I obviously broke my heart to her all the way up Holcomb Hill. I had my sunglasses on. I can just remember walking to the top thinking, you can do this, you can do this. And all my language she, she recalled back was all very positive. She was like, I'm going to be okay. And I just knew I was going to be okay. So by the time I got back down, I was like, right, you know, I can't, I can't sit around and wallow. I just can't do that. So he, this wasn't even two hours since he just told me, like basically my world blown up I went right I'm not sitting around all day Sunday I'm not sitting around all day we're gonna go out for the day with the girls and in fact the older one decided not to come because she just started high school so it wasn't cool the younger one we did we went we went shopping um, we had lunch out and the whole time I'm just thinking oh my fucking god how and did he respond did he did he seem like a weighted it, it literally was just he was mirroring how I was behaving, but inside I knew he was not, he was not in a good place. He was scared. We did talk about it afterwards. Cause I said, you know, he said, I would have done anything to help you because mm. ultimately I was breaking your world apart. Um, and that was, that was literally the Sunday we, we, we I think we went out to Sunday dinner. I actually, I did have, I did order a glass of wine. And I remember vividly getting this beautiful glass of red wine and thinking, I actually don't want that. And going back to what you just said about control. I just thought I don't want, and actually after that day, I never drank. Although that's not my fish the other day. I just so, couldn't, I couldn't stomach it. So before we, the logical, we're going to move into the future and what went, oh, sorry, what went on next. But when did you start, when did you go back to work? Was it the next day? Literally the next day was Monday. The how, did, how did that, 
Because I think some people deal with stress and anxiety and pain and all these things by yeah. throwing themselves into work, and it's a, it's a bit of a saviour. Others, yeah. and, and, but that doesn't always make them happy either. That's a short-term fix. Others can't fucking face, like, the next day and the thought of a call about anything but what's just gone on. How did you deal with it? Okay, well, the Sunday night, so I, I then moved into the spare room. And the you, you moved in the spare room? I moved into the spare room. I don't know why, but I did. Because you're trying to control the situation. You're like, it's yeah. easier for you if I do. I, to, I wanted to take myself out of the marital bedroom. I didn't mm. want to be in the marital bedroom. To me, that was just like, no. And I spent the night on um, searching what just happened to me. You know, Siri, are there any blogs on men who've just come out in their 40s as gay? And I then, I was sending them to him on WhatsApp in the other room and I was reading up on it and thinking, and, and then I was reading about the grief process because I knew I was going to go through, I mean, I have gone through a previous marriage breakup, but nothing like this. It, the grief process was starting. So I was in shock. And so what I did on the Monday morning was, I'd already told him on the Sunday night, I said, I'm going to get up and go, because we were already in the office. Um, Shannon hadn't yet started with me, but she was due to start. And so I thought, you know, and I don't think about it. And I'm, I think we are very similar, Sean, in that I needed, I knew I needed to distract myself. And the best way to do that is to throw myself into work. It's just how I, that's my coping mechanism. I'm a very, I am a very positive person. It's not an act. I just naturally am. I wake up every morning and think, wow, it's a great day today. Um, were you able to, were you able to talk about normal shit or were you, were you? Well, nobody, well put it this way. Nobody knew. Um, in my personal life, apart from my sister, nobody knew for two weeks, and yeah. I didn't tell anybody professionally for about six weeks. Wow, and that must have been that must have been some pretty dark. dark. Yeah, dark. But but ironically, I had the best month I've had in a long time. The deal started blowing. Rushed about fifty k that month because <laughs> I just thought all my energy was just it was going back to that laser kind of yeah, yeah. But because to me. And then, and I realised it is a coping coping mechanism. It meant I didn't have to deal with anything else. And and I knew just to get myself through those first few weeks, I needed to do something positive for me. And also, it going back to that first thought in my head of I've got to look after these girls now on my own. So I've got to make sure I've got a business, and I'm not going to let my business fail. And I'd have done that if I was working. I'm interrupting this podcast to give you another update from our sponsor, Audra. The team at Audra have launched another feature in summer 2020, and it's going to be a game changer. This is going to massively change the way the recruitment agency market operates globally for the future. They've called it Audra Producer. This platform sits alongside the company's award-winning video interview opportunity um, and gives you, the recruiter, the ability to create engaging, eye-catching video content ready to share in a matter of minutes. So you can record or upload a video um, and then you can add banners, overlays, images, subtitles, logos, so that you can create these eye-catching videos that are built for LinkedIn. So whether you're interviewing, whether you're doing sales messaging, or you're just trying to put out valuable content on, online, then Odro is no longer just a video interview platform. It's also a content creation platform for recruiters. Get in touch with Odro today to see how you can implement this into your recruitment agency ASAP. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. That says so much about you, though, as a person, and why why you've been successful throughout your career. I, I, I do think there's something in recruiters that it's a special. You, I don't know about you. I, I reckon we were quite similar. I was the kid at school that probably probably annoyed quite a lot of teachers because I was very smart. I was I was I wasn't academic to the point where I was a brain box, but I was I was quick. I was very quick with things. I knew the answers very quick to things, and I would talk a lot. So I was like. Just shut up, Sean. Like now, I I get paid to do this. It's brilliant. But <laughs> and and if someone would have come up to me in year eleven and gone, by the way, there's this career called recruitment where you can speak to people and you can influence and you can have fun. I'd have fucking bit your hand off then. But no one told me that. No one. And there's kids in school now, and they're just you know they look like troublemakers or they look like they're disinterested. And what it is is they're not they're not expressing themselves through their voice or their actions like they want to. Um, and but once you find it, like you found it and I found it, it becomes your, your absolute strength then. It becomes your, your, you see a little, your little cape on the back that when, when shit goes wrong, boom. You've seen our superhero avatars. I mean, you know, obviously it's a bit of a tongue in cheek thing, but the reality is that's, that's just how I've been from a very, very young age that whatever, you know, I feel like I've had a really privileged life. And even though this, this 
this threatened to destroy everything because I'm very, very loyal. And I, you know, I went into this marriage, we'd worked together, so we'd been friends. And, you know, he, he, I mean, one thing I'd like to say is that he never cheated on me. He told me this before he actually then went and met anybody. So that was very brave on his part. And so all the way through the sort of early weeks, I felt really grateful to him that he'd had the courtesy. And I guess, you know, he owed me that at least, but he did have the courtesy. He didn't, hadn't cheated on me. And it's funny because, you know, when, as we start, as I started to tell like close friends and stuff, they, they were like, you know, I guess it's better than him going off with another woman. And I was like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, my first husband did that, by the way, a different conversation. Um, but it didn't make it any easier. But I know that the thing is, and I think this is where this does, define me as a recruiter and that's why it's so wedded it's all feel when I, I didn't feel sorry for myself I just felt empathy for him I felt sorry for him and all I could feel, all my energy was into I can't imagine it he was 46 when he told me and he'd literally just gone boom under his life under everything that he knew and had to start a new life as a gay man at 46 years of age with have you ever heard have you ever heard that phrase and I, I Again, I heard it recently and it stuck so, so much in my brain, but change only occurs when the thought of staying the same becomes worse than the change, right? So he, he reached a point in his brain where he's like, the thought of another day or another week or another year of pretending is it's worse than the, whatever can come at me next. And that, that can take 16 years, take six minutes, whatever. Um, but yeah, he must, have been, he must have been really suffering to... to because he wouldn't want to put you through that absolutely and you know going back to what i said earlier on that i realize now that he when, when i've had lots of time to retrospectively sort of pick it apart and go to the granular i think he was unhappy for a long time i don't think he knew why i really don't think he knew but i he definitely knew from the christmas before he told me in the march mm. because we, we were not getting on at all and i realize now i mean i realized in that first week really that that's why because he knew he'd reached that point where he just thought I can't do this anymore but he couldn't find the way words to tell me and he he needed to tell he said he felt he needed to tell me when he knew I was in a good place because he knew how strong I needed to be and the thing is and you know this again comes it all weds into the recruitment thing I think you are very resilient in recruitment if you if you survive your first year in recruitment it doesn't matter what your life story is you're probably going to get through it and then the two collide so well so you know, I am a, I am quite a private person, although I share a lot on social media, I am quite private. And even sort of th those first few weeks, I chose not to tell people because I needed to be aware of how I was going to position where I was at with it. And of course, we still haven't told our daughters anything. So that, and that was did you, very- Did you suspect anything before? Did you ever, did you ever, no. ever have a one brain cell that said that could be- what without, being, without being crude, when we got together, he'd slept with half the office, and they're, they're all female, by the way. So no, there's no no clue. And of course, that's the first question anyone asks, like, mm, you're still having, you know, and I'm like, well, let's not get too personal, but no, let's just say there was no clue. Well, <laughs> um, I, uh, so you mentioned the business then, you have the best month ever. You, yeah. you took you six weeks to start sharing. How, how did you tell the kids? Um, so we decided to, it collided with the Easter holidays and around the same time he he because we had a very open you know very open communication then at that point um he said look I'm, I, I do feel like I want to start meeting people and I was like of course you do but you're not doing that work because he was still living in the house so he then set about looking for an apartment this is all before the kids knew um, and so once he found his apartment it did coincide with the start of the Easter holidays and I thought well I'm gonna just book off the, and by then Shannon had started and obviously Laura knew, Laura Dutton knew, my business partner for London. So I told them both this is what was going to happen and I'm not going to be around, I'm just going to need to be around for the girls and we, we and, and this will just make your audience just go oh my god that I know I've done a good job with my girls because we've just brought them up in a, I'm very open, I'm <laughs> very open parent and you know I do I do believe in that I'm creating young adults and not my, my children to keep. So yeah. we've brought them in a very tolerant, you know, they're very open-minded, they're very worldwide, my girls. So Isabel would have been 12 um, and we, oh no, we told my, my youngest first, I think my oldest was getting ready and we just said, we, we've got something we need to tell you. And actually the oldest one said, are you getting divorced? And we, and we said, well, we will be, yes. And they, they both started crying. And we said, it's really important that you understand why though. And, and, and then Matt said, well, basically, um, 
you said you joked the other day, Lilia, about you'll never find another mummy like Leisha. And I was like, oh, that's dead sweet, that. And he said, well, no, I'm going to find another woman like Leisha because I'm going to look for a man because I'm gay. And it's quite cute, really. So she would have been nine at the time and she just looks at me and then looks at him and then she just went, have you been wearing daddy's clothes, uh, mummy's clothes? And he said, well, no, because mummy's five foot three and I'm six foot two, so they wouldn't fit me and I'm not a transvestite, I'm gay. And she just looked at him and just said, well, I just, I'm just so glad that you know who you want to be now, daddy. And we were just like, wow. you know, and that was, that was her, it was dead simple. Well, I'm glad you know who you want to be. And, and he, he actually went and told our older daughter separately. And, and she said a similar thing. She just said, no one should ever hide who they are. And, you well, know, that, from that moment, they've accepted who he is and actually almost wear it a bit as a, as a bit of a badge of honor almost that my dad had the courage to come out because when he was growing up, you just weren't, no. when you went lived in Birmingham in the eighties in a boys school, you did not come out as gay. I mean, I, I look at it now and think, but if, I, 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 as you were telling that story, I'm going back when my dad, my, my dad picked me up from school. I think I was five and a half, maybe just turning six and told us that they were breaking up. And I remember it. I don't remember him ever picking me up before. And the day he picked me up from school, I was like, something's wrong here. Right. Um, and I was so young and I didn't get any of it. Like, I just didn't understand it. You blame yourself. You think it's all about you. And then we begged him to stay till Christmas. So it was about October. So I'd just turned six, I think. It was October. And uh, it was just after half term. And I remember we said, don't leave. Like, stay till Christmas, stay till Christmas. So they, my parents made a pact. Yeah, we'll go to Christmas. And then, then he moved out on Boxing Day. And it was like, but, but it, looking at the way your kids are thinking and the way you've treated them and the way the world is now, I didn't even know what homosexual was at that age, I don't think, and probably didn't know much about it till I was late teens. And it's so much more accepted now. It's so much more, I'm not saying like, you know, it's easier because I think dealing with those, that situation, regardless of whether it's accepted in the, in society, you know, for you and the children must be incredible. But um, it's testament to you that they reacted that way. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, and what's, you know, as Isabel heads towards being 16, I can see her within her social group. She is the go-to when there's any, any issue. She's got lots of friends. She's got pansexual friends, bisexual friends, because now it's just totally normal. You know, Izzy is very, um, in, she's indie, she's rock. She's got a very unique style to her. And I think it's almost like that was the pivotal point for her where she just right. thought, Hey, well, I'm not like everybody else. And if I want to pierce my face and tattoo myself, I will. Although, can you just wait, child, till you're at least an adult? Um, and Lily is exactly the same. They're just, yeah, they are really, and they're really, really, they're, they're, and I know that man might not come out and say this, but I know that they're proud of how I dealt with it because, you know, we talk about vulnerability in sort of a business context, but, you know, I did keep it together and I never, I never dropped a ball. You know, I still kept going. There was still food on the table. I still, I've got a dog. I still walk my dog every day. I'm, I'm fit. I still got up and did a hit every morning. Wow. I, I then put my flag in the sand officially from the 10th of June that year. It's I'm not, I'm not drinking again. That's it. So I know that there were loads. When I look back, there were loads of little things that happened in those first few weeks, which is when, of course, your brain's accepting the change. That I realise now, if I hadn't, you know, it's all about sliding doors, isn't it? If I hadn't kind of given up the alcohol and I've carried on drinking I don't know I don't think I would be where I am now a final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry now I first heard about these guys about a year ago the amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere I had to look into it and what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 Crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, 
if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. It was June 2017 you stopped drinking? Yeah, properly. That's a whole other. That's a whole other episode I'd want to talk about. Whole other episode because it's really important that people understand that sobriety is not something to be feared, and you're not a pariah. But yeah, we'll definitely come back and talk about that again because I do think it's really prominent in recruitment. And think it's well, I, I've I've done. I did the 75 hour challenge, which was the longest I've ever done. But I've done about. I stopped drinking for 32 days in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2016. And it was, it was amazing. And I've done probably every sort of quarter I have, then I get to a point, I'm like, I've got to do another month off. And so I've always been playing with my alcohol consumption since. I know I'm going to get to the point where I don't drink anymore. Like, I'm not there yet, but I'm going that way. The amount of people I've met and they're like, oh, is he, is he drinking this time? Like they, they take the piss. But, and it's not even that I drank much. It's not that I struggled with it. I think I hated the fact that I had to, I, I didn't have the willpower to just say no when you're in a social situation. Even when, you know, when you're setting out, I don't want to drink today. And someone goes, oh, I have a beer. And you go, oh, go on then. And I hated the fact that I didn't have control. And uh, yeah, I probably drank too much this weekend. So I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely still playing with that one. Um, oh, it was just one, one hung over too many. And it's all about control. And I think so. I think that, you know, the vulnerability aspect when, when I made the decision to sell the family home to buy my own. Um, beautiful little cottage in Mum's Bottom um, but when, when I made the decision and obviously then was packing up this massive five bedroom house and you know pulling down photo albums and you know they, they would find me sobbing on the landing and you know they wouldn't speak they would just come and put their arm around me and I'd, and we'd kind of have a little cry together and then they'd go off to do their own thing and I'd think right come on brush yourself off you can get on with it and so what, and what I was want to what, what I want to think about the, the listener now mm-hmm. like, I reckon there's a lot of people going through different things and have been and will do What's the way in which you've, so the sobriety is one way, that gives you the clarity of thought, but your brain, I know from my own experience that you can, you can have a different mindset hour to hour, like shit can hit you out of nowhere. How, tell us about some of the thoughts you've had and the ways that you've managed to get around that and bring yourself back to a good place. Okay, first and foremost is to be really self-aware. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. And so the first, one of the first phone calls I made on that Sunday was to my hypnotherapist, mm. who I'd been to for a decade before. And I didn't tell her the reason why. I just said, I, I need to not ever feel angry. And when I went and saw her and had, had my session on that first Friday, I said, obviously, we've, we've split up. I didn't say why. Um, I just don't, I know that there's going to be a roller coaster ahead of me and I don't ever want to feel anger. So it was, it was, I'm not saying too much to do hypnotherapy, but I knew that that would become an emotion that would overtake me and I didn't ever want to be bitter. Um, and I'm very glad that I did that because it's, it lends itself very well actually to, to stay calm. Um, I read a lot. I read a lot of blogs. I listened to loads of, and I still do, because I think podcasts are just the best invention ever mm. whether you're listening to oprah winfrey or fern cotton or you or my right. podcast do you know what i mean this <laughs> it, it's just you never stop learning and listening and it, but I, all everything i listen to and everything that i read is always about human story and you're learning from that and it's just that absolute self-belief and go back to what i said before it's just i just knew i was going to be okay and it's just what? having that kind of blue sky, i'm going to be okay the thing is i, I, I yeah, I think that if, if you get to that point where you're not sure you're going to make it, that, that's a place I've never been personally. I've never been there. I've always had that same sort of confidence no matter what's happened. But, but I would say, like, you know, to be a female with two like, teenage girls, not that old either, like at the time, they weren't like 17 on the way out. They, were, they fucking need you, their parents more than anything at that age. Um, being single again. You know, being single again after however many, 15, 16 years in the gate. I just said, I'd never, up, up till me, meeting Matt, all my relationships but didn't uh, overlap, by the way. I never had but to they were back but, to back. Yeah, they were back to back from the age of 16. So I found myself at 42, single. So what, first time. how did that feel? Uh, that felt amazing because um, I then went on this self-discovery of who is Leisha what's she about she's i stopped being wife and mother 
and housekeeper to I can do what the hell I like and this is amazing and actually you know although it's daunting and anyone that is listening to this who has found themselves a new single parent actually as long as you've got cohesion in terms of what the other parent is going to do when they're they've got them in their care you are in control of what happens in that house and actually it's really funny that from that point of when he moved out there are very few rounds that happen in our house now because it's my it's my way or the house kind of thing but we it's created a, a very good communication culture how did i feel about becoming single i felt really a little bit daunted because I, I knew that it was going to most likely going to be and have to go on a dating app um but actually just really excited to be on my own for the first time in my life and and to anyone that finds themselves in this position i, I was actually on my own for two and a half years and I knew that I had to, I've created this amazing tribe of women around me. A lot, and an interesting, your social pattern does change. My becoming single does coincide with becoming sober. So you, I'll never really know whether that would have happened anyway. Um, but finding people that have been on a similar journey to you is always the best way to, to elevate your confidence in yourself because you know you're not on your own learning from other people and knowing that ultimately you know what and, and I almost got to the point about two years into being single where I just thought you know what if I'm on my own for the rest of my life I've got the most amazing I've got the most amazing daughters I've got amazing friends I've got my family I've got my dog you know I've got key recruitment in my business I mean I've got such a rich life and I just thought well if no one comes along then that's absolutely fine it's a shame because I think I've still got a lot of love to give but it, it wasn't it wasn't like a burning thing that I had to do it um, but yeah, I think it's, it, you think it's that, do you think that as well could be to do with the fact of how your relationship had gone in the last however many years? Yeah, that you, yeah I think so. Because if you were, you know, if you were so attached to that person emotionally and you, <laughs> that you'd miss so much of that, but if you detached yourself slowly for a long time, then it, the, the change is more, um, it's more like, you know, tactical than it is emotional. Cause it's like, you know, well, I wasn't getting that from them anyway. Um, which is, you know, every, I think if you, if you, let's say someone breaks up with you that you're madly in love with and is like, that could be totally different feeling than, than where you were, I think. Um, but I also know now that, and it's a really old fashioned expression, but you know, what doesn't break you makes you stronger and it's totally true. And, you know, I have now met somebody and I, and he really, I do really feel like he's someone that I'm, I am meant to be with. He's, he's basically a male version of me. It's really bizarre. Right. I love um, that. Very similar personality to me. We're very compatible. Um, and he, I, I really do believe he's the love of my life. And I think if our lives had collided at a different time, we would never be in this position. Um, but I know that one of the things he loves most about me is my confidence. And it, I, I do feel really blessed to have the mindset that I do, but I work hard at it. You know, I, this isn't, yes, of course I was born, I was born confident and I was always the kid that was happy to get up on stage and probably like used to probably piss off everyone else going, why is she so confident? And, you know, I just didn't care about stuff like that. Um, I almost have that element of I don't really care, although I do care. Um, but I have worked hard on my own self-development. I do read a lot. I've got a lot of amazing mentors around me. I'm not afraid to ask for help. And it's interesting that one of the first things I learned in that first year was being able, I'd never asked for help before. And I mean, physical and emotional help. And um, I won't say who, because they will be watching this, but obviously when I share it, but there was somebody very close to me who I did ask for help and they basically said they were too busy to help me. And I, I, I didn't get angry with them. I, I, I did obviously do a few of those at them behind the back. <laughs> and I just later, I, I thought, you know, what? they need to know, they need the feedback. And I sent them a very polite message and said, just a, a little word to you, if a strong person asks you for help, they really need the help. Yeah. Yeah. And I and that's the advice I give to anyone now that's in that position, you know, and I think that's what COVID has done. It's shifted the expectation that of course we can ask for help. Of course you can put your hand up in class and say, I don't understand that. Because I was definitely not like you, I wasn't naturally I think, academically brilliant. Say that again? I wasn't naturally academically brilliant. So I would never you know, I was always oh, putting I, my hand up in class. I wasn't I wasn't brilliant by any stretch, but bloody hell. I was just better than Better than probably the amount of work I did, if you know what I mean. That, yeah. I, I, I had more potential than I probably did. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, but when it comes to, someone else said to me as well recently, very similar thing you just said, like we often, when it comes to relationships, and this might be business partners, this might be your, your, your romantic partner, um, you know, and I think it's probably more so prevalent in, the, in romantic relationships over time is we often go for that opposite person. We try and look, we find attraction in opposites, but 
when it comes to a lifetime, like we, we typically hang around with people that are similar to us. Like you, you gravitated in the playgrounds of the people that were like you, not the people that were that different. So over 20 years together, like you've got to be quite similar. I think like you've got, to, you've got to have a slight difference or it might be a bit weird, but if you, you've got to have very similar values, very similar interests. Otherwise you're going to just bore the shit out of each other or go or just great on each other. Well, I do think, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, and I'm going to throw him right under the bus here because he, he won't watch this. Um, <laughs> we, did have, we did have the same values because we'd worked together. So we clearly yeah. did. And we did have a laugh and a joke, but we were not compatible. Um, he was an introvert. He was quite happy, quite happy to not see any friends and just be on his own. And he had very solitary hobbies. He, I mean, he always was out doing hobbies and stuff, which was fine. Um, he wasn't particularly a family person. And it, whereas I'm this sociable butterfly, I've always, I'd always, I've always got the calendar filled up. That's not because I'm afraid to be on my own. I just like people, I like being around people. So I look back now and think, but I think I knew that really early on, but I'd fallen in love with him. Mm. So I think it, my word of caution, and maybe it's because I'm older, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong side of 45 now, which is really scary. But if I could go back to that 20 something girl that, you know, was in that situation, I think I did know. And I was just too scared to press the brakes and go, whoa, are you sure about this? Like, you know, before we got married, I would have had a few kind of, there were little things and it's only the benefit of yeah. yeah. I think compatibility is really important. And I think likability, if you, if you're in business or you're, you're interviewing to go and work somewhere or you're in a relationship or a friendship group and you think, I actually don't like you, then there's no, nothing you're going to do to, you can't change that person. You can change how they make you feel. Yeah. You can't change that person. No, you, you can't. can. What do they say? That I keep coming out with these like lines. People must think I'm like Gandhi or something with my proverbs, but there's a line, um, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And it's the way you say it, right? You can just change the group, but you can't yeah. change the individuals. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you've had that, you've had that experience. So, so how would you describe your life today? How would you describe where you are right now? Do you want to know this word? Freedom. Love it. I feel as, far, as light as a feather in everything that I do. I'm being a business owner through this recession and through the pandemic I can I can I've not pivoted as such but I guess I have using a lot more through personal branding and social mm. media we can I've always believed we we will choose who we want to do business with whether that's candidates or clients so I feel free in the business context you know we we're, we are small and niche so we've not got massive overheads and I feel really so grateful for that um I feel really free that I've got two you know they're getting older now they're nearly 16 and 13 so we're wow. all I'm already like, when are you moving out? <laughs> you know, when are you getting a job or going to university? So, but I'm very lucky that because they're not little, you know, I don't need to be sat here 24-7. You know, no. during lockdown, it was great. I could still go out and have a walk and stuff. And um, obviously I'm in a great place with Marcus, you know, just to anybody that's watching this, don't doubt dating apps, but don't go for a type. That's what I would say. And I'm don't, sure there's an agreement that's in there. Don't, don't go limit for a yourself. Type. Don't limit no, it your go, go for someone kind. I've gone for someone. I, I thought I'm just going to go for a really kind face, and that's what I've gone for. And he's just the kindest person ever. Um, I've got an amazing tribe of people around me, and you know, I'm never rude. I'm never disingenuous with anybody, and I'll always give everybody my time. But I know who my go-to people are, and I think that's that. That comes with wisdom, doesn't it? So I know who my go-to people are. I know who I can trust. Um, and it, and it is there is definite compatibility there. Um. And even though we're going through this, you know, this crazy world, and I think going back to when you sort of said, how did I cope with that first week? I realise now that that's why I've dealt with this pandemic so well, because you don't, no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I did not know that on that Sunday morning, he was going to say he's gay and that my whole world was going to change. No. But actually my life is so much better now than it was then. And for, and I'll always be grateful for that. So you just don't know that, you know, although it's terrible what the, the health consequence has been of COVID and financially and economically, the impact it's having on, it, on yeah. everybody, you've got to almost look introspectively and say, right, what can I do to make the best of this situation? And you don't need to even be that contrived about it. You've just got to somehow find a route and, and a method to, to overcome things. So I'm, I'm in a great place. And I do just, I do practice gratitude every evening. I write in a journal and that's, an, it's another little life, to, life hack that I tell all my friends. It takes two minutes every night and I've done it since my 40th birthday. Someone bought me a book for my birthday and 
you just write down a few lines of what how your day's been you might write we need the right dick today or this happened or but then you write down what you're grateful for and what a great way to end your day and then you start your next day ready fresh wow. ready to go so when we're almost out of time but you you smile you're making me smile you make you're cheering me up and i think i think a lot of people listening would hopefully i'd hope they'd be feeling like that because it's great to see you're so radiant about where you are when you've been through something that i would never wish on anyone um what when it comes to when it comes to the the people that you deal with so you you know when you've got candidates and clients in today's market we're going off topic slightly but i think it's i think it's important like what advice are you giving? Like, what's the, what's the one piece of advice you're giving the most right now? And as we talk right now, at the beginning of, or middle of September, 2020, yeah. you know, the market is starting to turn, but then we've got this second fucking lockdown that everyone's talking about and the media is just trying to drive it. Yeah. By all. So what are you saying to the to recruiters and recruitment owners right now about where the market is and what, what advice are you giving? So, well, I mean, it's two separate questions, really. I mean, the most important thing is just to be authentic and be honest. Be totally honest about if you're a candidate looking for a job, why are you looking for a job if you're, if you're still working? If you're out of work, be honest about where you're applying to. What do you, Don't just think about, I need a job now. Think about where you're still going to be in six months' time. And it's really hard for anybody to predict what's going to be happening in six months. But I would just say that's the easiest piece of advice. Just be honest about where you're at. For hiring clients, it's, it's a case of just being brave at the moment you know if you know that you need certain people to get you to the next point i think it's baby steps right now um the market's really unpredictable i mean obviously RepTorect generally is a barometer of what's happening in a broader recruitment market because if RepTorect, if we're busy and we've got vacancies it generally means that there's confidence in the market mm -hmm. and you know we're at, i think we're at 75 percent capacity in terms of revenue versus 2019 which is quite remarkable really given Good. how many recruiters there are I mean and I'm like that whoa that's, that's pretty awesome and that's been down to real hard work and people trusting us and you know making sure that we've got the right conversations going on but also that people have I guess you know have got the right strategy we're in the right markets a lot of it is down to look yeah. to be honest with you if you're in the right market if you're in tech if you're in life sciences if you're in public sector you're well, probably gonna navigate through this right now and I would say if you have got the capability to monopolize on those sorts of markets, then do it. Um, keep a hold of your best people. Listen. I mean, the biggest piece of sort of, well, the biggest um, topic right now is all about should we be in the office? Should we be doing remote working? The answer is ask your employees what they want and they need. Look at what their skill capacity is. Do they need to be in the office? Do they need to be, you know, is there a learning capability there remotely? Yeah. But I, I on this recently where we talked about you know for me even though I've worked I worked by myself for about 10 years on my own from home I still made sure that three days a week I was out meeting clients candidates we are sociable people recruiters generally and I think recruiters need to be around energy and I don't think them working from of course if we're in lockdown that you've got no bloody choice but to do zoom but I think if you can there needs to be a three two you need to be in the office three two three days a week um well, try it's, and it's gonna that. provide it's going to provide or create a lot of new problems that no one knew and load of new opportunity. Right. Um, but there's that, that's, that's without a doubt. And, and the way the market, I mean, the fact is people are getting hired. People are moving jobs. So, you know, that is a, for me, that is a super positive thing. And the, I think the recruitment agency market is a barometer for the, for, like you said, you wreck record for rec, rec, recruitment. Recruitment the market is a barometer for the rest of the economy. Um, but in a way, the whole market, left to right, there is always pockets doing well, no matter what goes on. Because the you know government, pharma, you know healthcare recruiters, logistics yeah, exactly. people that recruit into Amazon right now are going to be flying. Like, so if you're a recruiter listening and your your market is quiet, like surely there's another sector that you could apply your skills to recruiting for, Leisha. This has been probably one of the most fun episodes I've ever had. Like you've made me feel so much, what's the word? Joy, I think. Just listening to how someone can go through so much, so difficult and then be so positive off the back as well. Like you've literally just, you know, you've made me smile. So um, I hope that's how people listening are feeling. Um, stupid question, because I know the answer, but if anyone wants to reach out, and even if it isn't about Rectorec, if they're not bothered about talking about recruitment, they just want to, you know, they might be going through a problem with their own sexuality or their partner or their friend or just feel like well, from listening to you, you're someone they could talk to. Are you open to that? 
Oh, definitely. And on that note, I mean, because I do make it very public about my sobriety, I've got a number of people that have contacted yeah. me now. You know, it's accountability. They feel that they want to be accountable to someone once a week when they'd normally be getting smashed. I'm always available. Now, if you are someone that's going through this from Matt's side, where you're, you've recently come out or you're a spouse, I would, I would love to speak to you. Just drop me a WhatsApp or connect me on LinkedIn or wherever, Instagram. I will always make time for people because I'm here. I don't, I'm not one of these. I'm, I'm not somebody that's here for a short term fear. That's just not how I run my business. And it's not how I am as a human being. And the fact that you just said that about, you know, that's a lovely word to say joy, because I just think I, I genuinely am one of those people that I wake up in the morning and I just feel so happy to be alive and that I'm healthy and that I've got my nearest and dearest around me. And that I just, if I can just get through to one person that everything will be okay then that's why this has been worthwhile. So I've, I've had loads of fun. It's nice being on this side of the death clone. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a bit more about, just what's the name of your podcast again? Um, so we're relaunching it and it's going to be called The Recruiter's Recruitment Podcast. Right. Um, well, it's going to be, um, we're going to be using all the YouTube videos that we've recorded during COVID, like right at the start of lockdown. And we've got people from right across it. We've got Greg Savage on there. We've got Amelia Sordell on there. We've got Kerry Ann Hargreaves, like really, I mean, names that you'll be familiar with. But we've also got guests from outside of recruitment. I think my most fun one was the CEO of a sex toy company. Um, I know, and she promised to send me some stuff and it's still not arrived, class. <laughs> Where is it? so it, but it's all you know, all, although it, I guess, actually, all the creating Vogue, just like really inspiring people, but who are all passionate about what they do and who want to give their sort of life skills, I guess, and business skills to people watching and listening and. And I'd like to think it, you know, you can just drop in. It's like yours, really, you know, drop in and listen to one episode and just come away and think that I can learn something from that person. Am I going to get invited on the, as a guest? I'd love you to come on. Will you come where, where's, on? My, where's my invite? Where's my invite? I was waiting for this moment to ask you in person. Hang on, I'm just going to get the gold plated. Hang on, there you go. Will you come on? I've got the violin out there today. Yeah, of course. Oh. Come on. So guys, that's you've heard it here first. We'll be doing a reverse podcast in a, in the in the very near future on that. Uh, yes, definitely. All right. I'd love to. I'd really like to do that. Yeah, we'll definitely invite you on. Thank you for having Alicia, me. Alicia, thank you so much. And guys, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you've uh, you've enjoyed today as much as I have recording it. Um I, I say this every week, you know, this is a it's a fucking hard job, it's a hard industry to survive. Being a recruitment owner leader today is potentially the hardest period ever. And the shit going on in our lives that is not necessarily on the, you know, open to the public. We're all dealing with things. And sometimes it's great to talk about it. And other times it's just great to hear about what other people have been through to give you that confidence you can make it through. And um, if you've listened today and you've enjoyed it and you think there's other people, you know, in the sector that might benefit, please share it. Even if they're not in the recruitment sector, I don't care. If, they, if you think they'd enjoy Leisha's story and they'd benefit, then please share it. Um, Cause it makes a big difference. And I do think together we're going to come through this stronger. Um, I'll be back again next week with another story. Uh, in the meantime, please do stay safe and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing force. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, 
which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team, or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.